0: Basically, cybercrime is linked uh, to data leaks, whether it's just the leak of your credentials, banking, uh, health information, or data as a result of ransomware. All cybercrime, to my understanding, is about data, whether it's espionage or credential theft or whatnot. So, you know, because data is power and therefore money.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Cybersecurity Sessions, our regular podcast exploring all things cybersecurity. I'm your host, Cyril Ortego, Principal Security Researcher at Metasea, the world's first fully agentless bot management product. These days, it seems that barely a week goes by without a data leak being reported in the news. According to Atlas VPN, 5.9 billion credentials were leaked in 2021 alone. But it's not just credentials under attack. Personal data, payment information, sensitive corporate data, and even source code are all at risk of being leaked. But how is so much data leaked so often? What do criminals do with the data once they have it? And what risk does this pose to the public? Well, to share some of her most memorable stories of data leaks and their consequences, I'm excited to be joined on this episode by our special guest, Chief Editor at Cyber News, Yagita Pianita. Welcome, Yagita. Thank you for joining us
0: today. Thank you for having me.
1: Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners quickly?
0: Well, yeah, of course. Uh, So I'm Yurgita Lapenita. I've been with Cyber News for nearly three years. And before that, I spent over a decade in business journalism. So, you know, data leaks and hacks and uh, breaches are uh, what we, you know, brief every day. And I'm really happy to talk uh, more about it with you.
1: Great, and we'll get into the, the data leaks in just a bit, but let's start with your career journey. So how did you get into journalism and what drew you in particular to reporting on cybersecurity?
0: Yeah, so, you know, I've uh, always been very curious and wanted to uh, dig deeper. I always, you know, had questions I couldn't find uh, an answer to, so I wanted to ask more questions, obviously. And so this career path was only um, natural for me. I always wanted to report more. On tech companies uh, also, as I said, being a a business news journalist myself, right, and so digging deeper and deeper into the tech field, I came across uh, the cybersecurity topics, uh, found them really fascinating and also uh, heavily underreported in the mainstream media. And so I get that this is a very technical field. So my goal here is to simplify it a bit, you know, so that uh, more people can understand because it's really important and it's crucial that uh, we understand uh, what is at stake here, right? So I basically dived into the uh, topic because I wanted to learn more myself and also to educate uh, my readers and also just my family and friends, you know, about all the risks and what we can do about our privacy, uh, basically. Uh, on the internet
1: and i think these days there's definitely a lot more coverage about data leaks you know mainly, mainly techniques but you know there is growing coverage in the mainstream as well and why do you think data leaks are so popular these days
0: I'm really glad to see that uh, leaks are being covered not only by the niche media outlets, right, but the mainstream outfits as well. Not that recent ago, that was definitely uh, not a trend. So one of the reasons might be, you know, the cyber war and all its uh, collateral damage, you know, all the hacktivists uh, joining the war on the cyber front and, you know, going public with those uh, leaks. So, you know, uh, they are of interest. Also, there have been a lot of hacks and, you know, uh, data leaks that impact our uh, daily life. For example, I don't know, uh, Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack or Optus hack in Australia, right? So uh, it's of importance to us. Also, uh, recently we've seen, uh, well, many popular brands and I mean B2C, so business to customer brands suffering a leak. Uber, Grand Theft Auto, Revolut, Facebook, LastPass, right? So -hmm. they all experienced uh, different issues. But uh, however, uh, most of them, uh, they put user information at risk. And they think that it's only good, right, that those breaches, uh, hacks and uh, leaks, they attract more attention because uh, this means that there's an increased pressure on those uh, companies uh, to guard our data. Those leaks used to happen even before, right, this increased attention, but the fact that they are on the spotlight, I think it's uh, it's good, basically. Also, there's a trend that criminals are mimicking, basically, legitimate corporations, especially like uh, ransomware gangs. Uh, they are operating just like uh, legitimate businesses, and so they have even their own sort of pr departments right and they are the republic about their victims they are eager to talk to journalists they give out their i don't know emails or other means to to contact them you know so they are also being the republic about it so you know that's just a couple of reasons that uh,
1: come to my mind why do you think that might be especially with the kind of the cyber criminals becoming a lot more public what what's in it for them
0: Well, sometimes they really exaggerate their claims, uh, as we saw with uh, lapsus, right? So I guess that uh, journalists, uh, especially when they are not careful enough, right, and they don't verify the information, they kind of also help them exaggerate the claims. And put more pressure on those companies that are allegedly uh, hit by ransomware. You know, maybe there's not that much at stake. Maybe those claims are not even true. But uh, companies might feel more pressure especially when they get more attention from media so i guess that's trying to put pressure on their victims uh, just being public about that and that kind of works just like a promotion for their business or an ad and if a company sees that okay so i've been attacked by lapsus and these guys are serious you know so i might want to pay them because this is a well-known gang and i better pay them because, you know, I've read about them, you know, going after big companies and
1: corporations. And I mean, you raised an interesting point there around the media having to kind of verify that the, the claims are legitimate. As, as a journalist yourself, how do you typically go around doing that?
0: Oh, uh, definitely. In some cases, it's, uh, it's very hard. And in some cases, it's impossible. But, you know, we never write about data leaks uh, if uh, we are not sure what's in there or we go about it like very carefully, right? Uh, So just uh, putting them as claims, because as I said, there's like so much information now from, you know, those uh ransomware gangs, so you can't uh, take every statement just for granted. So, you know, sometimes we either take the data samples they provide, or we ask for them to see whether at least some part of that information is true, then we, of course, reached out to companies that had fallen victim, but uh, also sometimes uh, just reaching out to those victims uh, doesn't help us much because companies tend to kind of downplay the whole attack and it's understandable, but so sometimes it doesn't help us. So we basically, we try to look for data and then look uh, whether that data kind of corresponds to, uh, to the claims.
1: So let's talk about some of the the data leaks you, you've covered and particularly some of the more more interesting ones. Have you got any examples that spring to mind?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, so uh, there were definitely some interesting leaks at the beginning of the war in Ukraine, right? And uh, so hacktivists, as I mentioned, joined their fight on the <laughs> cyber front trying to uh, expose... Uh, Russian government aid and agencies and then uh, Russian companies, right? So there were like so many leaks. Data put up uh, there are just basically uh, for free, you know, and uh, everyone and uh, not only like niche media outlet, but like mainstream outfits as well were uh, rushing to cover these leaks. Uh, but, you know, we always uh, want to verify those. So I don't know. Uh, at the beginning, there were some interesting ones. For example, the data leak uh, from a Russian foreign ministry where even uh, Putin's himself email was allegedly in the leak and, and his right. password right so you know uh, that's exciting you might want to report on that but then you need to take it uh, with a grain of, uh, of salt and then just shortly afterwards there was a Yandex leak right uh, which also meant you know that okay uh, hacktivists are uh, going after Russian companies but there's also like lot of customer data involved and you know those customers they are just ordinary citizens so you know um, there's a collateral damage here and uh, you know uh, we also tried to verify that leak and it turned out that there were not only like uh, yandex emails and data in the leak but also there are random emails like from uh, gmail and and other services so I definitely remember the rush at the beginning of the war because there's been a surge of leaks and half of them uh, proved uh, to be uh, fake. Some were not important, uh, right? Uh, Some had uh, some truth to them. So that was definitely the most interesting thing probably this year uh, we had to do.
1: Yeah. And I guess with those ones, especially where it's hacktivist, right? Because when you think of data leaks, you think of these well-funded, well-organized kind of APT groups or others that, you know, are able to maintain persistence for a while and kind of exfiltrate data. But where activists and these, uh, especially with the war in Ukraine, a lot of these were kind of volunteers who haven't done that much before. How are they able to still kind of steal that much amount of data, like wh- where the leaks were true?
0: Yeah, but then, uh, you know, in in, uh, many of those cases, uh, they don't really steal that data. uh, So there's already so much data out there, right? On the dark web, um, you don't even have to buy some of it. it is just basically up there for free. So there are a lot of, you know, databases out there already and there's a lot of data to play with right so mm-hmm. some of them prove to be just uh, some old leaks or um, basically some scrape data because big companies uh, still allow uh, well not maybe allow uh, that's too strong a word but um don't uh, do enough to prevent uh, data scraping, right? So there's a lot of information you can uh, get by, I don't know, uh, using bots, right? But uh, a lot of uh, those uh, leaks were actually like old leaks and maybe, you know, uh, stolen by someone else and hacktivists uh, just being um, very public about it. Uh, There were some, what it seemed, new data leaks, but then they were mostly about, you know, uh, very niche uh, Russian companies uh, and maybe not of uh, of that big of an interest to the public, right?
1: I mean, that raises some interesting points, uh, especially around kind of the life cycle of breached data, right? So, I mean, you mentioned that these may have been past leaks, which were then made public. if they're past leaks, they're probably then being already used by kind of cyber criminals before they get made public. So I guess generally, how long does it normally take for a breach to occur before it gets public in your experience?
0: Well, it depends. But uh, to my view, you know, once the data is out there for free, there's not much uh, use to it for uh, the person who who stole it, right? So basically, it's uh, I feel like it's maybe just uh, leftovers. Of course, it uh, depends on the data, right? And uh, with something like... uh, I don't know, Facebook scrape, right? So uh, there's nothing else to do but uh, to kind of uh, sell it. And then many different threat actors can use it for uh, uh, phishing and uh, and other attacks. But uh, with the more serious data leaks, I think we don't uh, really see them, right? If a threat actor, a motivated one, uh, maybe a persistent one uh, steals some documents and some internal data from, I don't know... Uh, government agency or big company if it's like intellectual property and whatnot uh, i think uh, you know uh, we won't see it public Uh, if they have that data they are going to use it for their own nefarious purposes rather than just uh, put them up for sale right
1: let's let's talk a bit about some of the uh, outside factors that have influenced data leaks and you mentioned earlier the ukraine war are there any others you you can think of maybe the pandemic or others that have influenced how data leaks are are arising these days
0: well yeah of course uh, the pandemic uh, because online retail boomed right and we just uh, got used to buying stuff uh, online even those people who couldn't imagine themselves, you know, buying something online. Now they're buying groceries and uh, Christmas presents and and books and and, uh, whatnot. And also, you know, the shift to remote work, I think, uh, you know, had a a huge influence uh, here. So now there are so many more opportunities for threat actors uh, to fish us, right? And to penetrate the corporate environment because we do everything online and we have uh, so many uh, internet of uh, things devices right hmm. and so basically cybercrime is linked uh, to data leaks whether it's just the leak of your credentials banking uh, health information or data as a result of a ransomware all cyber crime to my understanding is about data whether it's espionage or credential theft or whatnot so okay. you know because Data is power and therefore money, you know, so, yeah. Bot
1: attacks are becoming more frequent, more time-consuming to stop and cause untold damage to your brand. Thankfully, Netasea agentless bot management detects up to six times more threats and stops bots automatically. Block more bad bots. Go to netasea.com. And what about stuff like, I mean, especially in Europe, the, the GDPR and regulations like that, how has that affected businesses taking data security?
0: GDPR has definitely improved uh, our privacy rights, right? At least now uh, we have this notion that uh, privacy uh, is our right. It's uh, something that uh, we have a right to. And I tend to believe that uh, small businesses are actually trying to do their best to protect our data, since they probably can't really afford hefty fines, right? But uh, but then what about uh, big tech? Because just a couple of days ago, I looked you know, at the uh, GDPR fines here in Europe. And uh, guess what? Uh, Amazon, Google, Facebook, uh, Instagram, WhatsApp, they all got record high uh, fines for uh, GDPR violations, right? So yeah. you would imagine that uh, big companies were with- huge departments, you know, and resources uh, to, you know, have people on board uh, to read those documents, to put all the protections in place. uh, So you would think that, uh, you know, they shouldn't find uh, themselves in such a situation. So uh, my question here is, is, uh, have they really stopped stockpiling our information uh, or not, right? So I, I highly doubt that. So I think, you know, GDPR, To some extent, uh, it's better, but whether it is tackling the biggest problem that we have with, like, big tech and our data, so I'm not sure about that one.
1: Mm. And, I mean, you mentioned earlier around some of the groups faking that they have um, data or being very public about data leaks to kind of extort their, their victims. How do you feel that kind of GDPR has played into that, right? Because at one point, if a fact that it goes to you look we've got this data and we will make this public unless you, you you pay us if you pay us we won't make this public then you don't have to report your gdpr breach do, do you think that's had a uh, an impact
0: well uh, it's hard to say you know i don't have any statistics but i definitely saw quite some uh ransom notes where ransom gangs they know that uh, you know uh, companies might violate uh, GDPR if that leak or that ransom case goes public. And, you know, so they would threaten those companies uh, with GDPR uh, saying that, OK, guys, if you don't pay us, we will, you know, uh, report this case to authorities and then you'll face a fine which, uh, you know, uh, might be way higher than our ransom demand. You know, so uh, GDPR definitely uh, plays a role here.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, these criminals are quite clever in how they try and extort, kind of use whatever levers they can, they can pull. Touching a little bit more on ransomware and in particular, double extortion ransomware where, you know, the threat actor is going to not only encrypt data, but also exfiltrate it and use that as a, a second kind of extortion lever. How have you seen ransom demand and the response to them change in recent years?
0: Well, no, at least it uh, seems a bit more quiet, maybe after the colonial pipeline, you know, and all the, like, increased attention. Uh, we still see big brands listed on gangs' websites. Uh, Ferrari, IKEA, Continental, uh, many colleges, high education institutions, uh, healthcare institutions, definitely, but it seems that uh, ransom demands are not breaking records anymore uh what we actually notice from our own investigations and our own research is that criminals actually use bots to find open databases and you know they ask for quite a modest uh, amount um, of ransom i think to you know maybe make sure they are paid and uh, law enforcement doesn't uh, get involved so in one of our uh, recent investigations, we actually found a threat actor asking only for $200 uh, ransom, and we were able to verify that you know at least uh, five victims actually uh, paid that amount. So uh, five is only uh, what we what we know that that threat actor uh, might have you know. Uh, way more uh, wallet addresses. So um, it seems that those criminals are kind of diversifying their risks, uh, going after smaller targets, uh, being uh, a bit more uh, quiet about it, right? Because uh, a company probably would decide to pay uh, if the amount is only like two hundred dollars or even two thousand right it's not worth to call the law enforcement i know companies don't uh, want uh, law enforcement to get involved too so you know at least uh, that's what we have observed
1: yeah i guess the key thing with an extortion demand has got to be something that the company can actually pay and also if you keep it quite low you kind of Reduce attention being brought to yourself. You don't bring the kind of law enforcement into it. Then it's easier on you. But I guess also with kind of a two hundred dollar ransom, you've got to be spreading yourself quite wide to actually start making <laughs> some profit on <in> that, right?
0: <laughs> well, you know, I don't know uh how many databases they actually managed to uh, encrypt, right? So. Another investigation we did last year, it showed that there are like uh, tens of thousands databases left open there, right? So, yeah. you know, imagine a bot just uh, going all over them, uh, encrypting them, you know, and uh, just getting all the $200 from each of the company. But then also uh, we have to have in mind that uh, ransomware is a service now, so you don't really need to be there skilled, right? A lot of, mm. uh, you know, uh, rookies basically people without big technology go out there, uh, r- r- ransom you know ransomware and then you know they can go out there and play with it. I mean, it's not that complicated a- anymore. So
1: I think that's a general trend we're seeing in cybersecurity, right? Just whether it's ransomware or even even bot attacks, everything. It is becoming easier to do this kind of cyber crime as a service, you know, it's really exploding.
0: I also just uh, wanted to add that, you know, uh, you might think, oh, 200, that's a, you know, funny amount. But then uh, I read a report uh, which said that those rookies who just start their cyber criminal career, uh, so they can earn up to $20,000 a month. So if you are only getting started and buying stuff off the shelf. And, you know, when you become a cyber kingpin, so the report said that you can earn as much as uh, $600,000, you know, and I'm not advertising uh, it, you know, but, you know, as I said, $200 might seem funny, but uh, it all adds up and then you get like being a rookie $20,000 a month. So something to think about, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, let's let's talk about what happens when the criminals get caught because I mean you mentioned colonial pipeline and that's an example of where there was a big kind of law enforcement action there. But is that generally the case where you have mass data theft, or is it kind of rare?
0: Uh, yeah, in many cases, uh, the mass data theft is associated basically with uh, ransomware gangs, right? They exfiltrate data they encrypt it and they also are blackmail companies right so we don't see that many arrests uh, you know at least uh, not to the extent of the cyber crime and would definitely like to see uh, more people uh, getting arrested but you know it's uh, not that easy people you know uh, it's kind of easy for uh, cyber criminals to hide but uh, just recently canadian authorities arrested russian national suspect of uh, having ties with the notorious logbit ransomware cartel right and we oh. also just a while ago we saw some uh, lapsus arrests so again that's not directly they were not arrested because of theft of data right but uh, Ransomware, but it's inextricably in uh, linked because, as I said, uh, ransomware is also all about uh, the data and uh, what you can do with it and uh, what what's it worth. So, there are some risks, that there are some uh, good signs, I guess.
1: And, and once the criminal group has the data, and um, you know, you said data is is power. What what are some of the ways that this has been or can be exploited?
0: Well, uh, again, it depends on the data, right? Uh, so uh, simple sets of uh, phone numbers and emails, uh, they are used uh, for phishing, right? And business email compromise is uh, such a big problem for companies and it, it costs uh, billions in losses worldwide, right? Mm-hmm. In some of the more extreme cases, for example, uh, Optus a hack in Australia, right? So a threat, threat actor basically stole passports passport numbers and then uh, driving license data so basically people's identities right and uh, the government ordered the company to pay for the replacement of uh, victims uh, ids right Uh, Mm. so uh, that's uh, one of the uh, extreme cases right well data theft can also uh, result in supply chain have collateral damage right and Basically, hurt third parties because uh, the data that you have on your server, your, your computer, it's not only your data, right? Let's be fair; it's also whether your employee data is out there, also your customer data, your client data, your provider data, uh, and whatnot. So you know the collateral damage uh, might be huge, and in some cases, uh, it is huge. We saw that with uh, Solar Winds. Uh, a casilla hack a while ago and you know in some cases as we already talked about it criminals don't even extort the data they just find that open database data is out there for grabs and uh, they've just locked that data and you know uh, ask for a ransom cyber criminals can uh, steal your identity uh, steal your money and you know it can also lead to reputational damage uh, and whatnot it can be the whole domino effect I mean it depends on the data but it's uh it's really serious
1: and I mean especially considering you mentioned stuff like identity theft right that can have such an impact on kind of an, an individual so should should people be worried if they see that a company they're a customer of has been a victim of, of a data leak and what can we as consumers do to protect ourselves from harm if our data is leaked?
0: Well, worry will get you nowhere, right? Of course, we should uh, be worried, but we should just assume that our data is out there. And uh, it's not realistic, you know, to think that we are safe because so many companies, so many third parties. Uh, sit on our data right and uh, there's basically nothing you can uh, really do about it because uh, none of the companies are immune to hacking uh, you know and uh, so our data is not safe so what we can do basically is to uh, look at how much data we share with those companies so you know uh, we should never share excessive data with any company or for that matter just maybe a Put it uh, publicly right out there. So just uh, limit uh, the location data, the contact data that you share with uh, Facebook and uh, other social media companies and, and whatnot. Also, one of the advices I truly believe in is just uh, do not reuse your password because uh, your password can be hacked, even if that's a like really strong one. But, uh, you know, it still can be hacked by a persistent advanced uh, threat actor, you know. So just make sure that if one company has been hacked, uh, the threat actor won't hack into your. Other accounts uh, using the same credentials, you know, so that let's try and keep that uh, damage to a minimum. Then also uh, I found uh, uh, myself that multi-factor authentication helps in so many cases. So go ahead and enable that on every uh, account, every app uh, you use. And, you know, monitoring also your uh, banking data, credit cards is always uh, good because well basically scammers are simply on the loose right so I also would suggest just uh, go to uh, any data leak checker check if your data has been leaked I'm sure it has been leaked so just uh, go and check whether uh, you need to enforce some uh, stronger security on any of your accounts uh, change passwords you know and, and what not so, yes, we should uh, be worried, but we also uh, should try and you know uh, take the matters uh, into our own hands because mm-hmm. we can, just at least to some extent, protect ourselves, right? Just uh, be smart about it.
1: <laughs> you know, those, are, those are some really great tips, and I'll, I'll just second the have unique passwords for every um, account. I mean, one of the things we deal with at Lettersia a lot is credential stuffing, and that exists as an attack purely because people reuse passwords. Um, yeah, kind of. If you use separate passwords for every account, you know that's that's a great help. Before we close out, uh, Gita, and thank you so much for kind of sharing your insights with us. Um, do you have any closing remarks for for our listeners?
0: Well, you know, I could uh, talk and talk uh, about data leaks, but uh, you know, I just uh, it's my goal to. Um, I want uh, people to be interested in this. I know that uh, we all tend to think, okay, that I'm too small. I'm I'm of no interest uh, to uh, anyone, you know, so why would uh, someone hack me? But then a lot of criminals, they are just, they're opportunistic, right? And they mm. don't exactly pick their targets. They just kind of... Uh, do the mass phishing you know the massive uh, mass attacks you know and and then then they see who falls for it and also we might open back doors to our companies right to the corporations uh we work for you know and then it might have uh, that collateral damage that i talked about right Mm -hmm. so every one of us is on the hackers radar so we definitely uh, need to take this uh, seriously, right?
1: Well, thank you so much, Gita, for, for sharing your time with us. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning into this episode of Cybersecurity Sessions. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and like or leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. We'd love to get your feedback. You can also get in touch with us via our Twitter, that's at CyberSecPod, or by email to podcast at neticea.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again next month. Experiencing bot attacks but don't know who's attacking? You need a bespoke threat insights report from Netasea's threat intelligence experts to break down how you're being attacked and advise on how to reduce bot attack risk. Visit netasea.com slash threat insights for more.